0: If you direct your attention. The reason why I had the ladies sing that last song was because of what I knew I was going to be preaching about today. God is good. And it's not 2024 yet, but this has really crept up on me today. Is today the 31st? Yep. And then tomorrow's New Year's, right? I asked Jennifer last night, I said, Are we do, do we do anything for New Year's? Are we doing anything for New Year's? She said, Neil... All of our friends are old and they're Christian. If you're thinking about going to some club or some you know concert, forget it. We're, we're also in, in that old group. I'm like, okay, so what are we going to watch Love Island?" or you know what? You know, <laughs> some dumb reality show that we watch <laughs> that I probably shouldn't uh, go on record saying. But for the new year, I was thinking, what would be a great anchor theme? Your second, the second song that we sang today, uh, I loved, I'd never sing, sang that song before. I loved the lyrics. And it reminded me of a theme we had a few years ago that Victoria has always been really good at doing the artwork and whatever the theme is for the year. Uh, but Jesus is better, Christ is better. And that song reminded me of that theme that we had a few years back. This year, I'm thinking of a theme of just God's goodness. God is good. God is good. Please don't. Let's not go on this infinity loop that we'll... <laughs> and though it's a familiar theme, I think it's the number one attack of the devil when bad things happen to good Christians. God isn't good. And then if we, if we adopt that as a truth and we believe it, we'll behave accordingly. And so what I'd like to do today is to give just kind of a general overview of the goodness of God. So if I could direct your attention to the, to the first passage, we'll look at the screen here, go to the next slide. If you'll turn to Mark chapter 10 and verse 18, the Bible says this, and Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good, but one that is God. And we, we know this from Apologetics 101. If you're calling Jesus good, then you're calling him God. Because if no one else is good other than God, then Jesus can't be God and not good. <laughs> and he can't call himself God and then have some fringe of non-goodness in him. So if you're calling Jesus good, if there's none other good than God, then you're also calling Jesus God. So a lot of times we have good cop, bad cop when it comes to Jesus, uh, the Son of God, and God the Father, and then we have the Holy Spirit that's kind of like the cheerleader off to the side that wants everyone's best, right? They, you know, we have good cop, bad cop, and then the Holy Spirit um, is doing uh, its own thing. But what we see in Jesus is when we doubt the goodness of God, all we need to do is to look at the life, the character, the character, and the person of Jesus? How did he deal with uh, the poor? How did he deal with the sinners? How did he relate to children, to people uh, you know found in adultery, to people that were of a different race or a different religion? How did, how did Jesus deal with um, politics? How did Jesus deal with um, poverty and illness and, uh, uh, you know, Poor behavior. How did Jesus deal with that? Well, you'll find that he was a friend of drunkards, a friend of prostitutes, a friend of sinners, so much so that they said, He has a, you know, he he's a gluttonous man, he's a wine bibber, he's a sinner himself, because he associates with the offscour, the rejects. But Jesus was extending grace and kindness and love and equality and unity, and he's an equal opportunity savior. And we can't have a different Jesus than a different God. So if, you, if you're wondering, like, God's the bad guy, Jesus is the good guy, there is bad cop and good cop, no, you can't, you can't differentiate the two because Jesus is the heart and the character. He's the visible manifestation of the invisible God. Look at J. Oswald Sanders. It'll be a quote on the screen. If Jesus is not God, then there is no Christianity and we who worship him are nothing more than idolaters. Conversely, if he is God, those who say he was merely a good man or even the best of men are blasphemers. More serious still, if he is not God, then he is a blasphemer in the fullest sense of the word. If he is not God, he is not even good. Well, that can't be true. Jesus is God, and he is good. And so if we ever wonder, or are curious, even under the circumstances of which we find ourselves in sometimes, being tempted to think, is God good? Go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. Now, the word gospel equals good news, right? That's what the word means, good news, and I've encouraged us, as, as news reporters, as good news reporters are, they report what's been done. They don't tell you what to do. They tell you what's, been, what's happened, what's already done. And if we're going to share the good news, we're going to share that it is finished. It's done. The way for salvation has been bought and purchased and paid for by the performance and the work of Jesus. You receive it. You don't achieve it. it that's the good news. There's nothing you could do. You couldn't work enough for it. You receive it as God's gracious gift. So because it's a message about a good and loving God who wants all to have an eternal relationship with an infinite, endlessly good lover, we are to be about sharing the good news. So the good news, though, is not about the plan of salvation. It's about the man of salvation, Jesus, who says he is the good shepherd and he will give people eternal life and they shall never perish. So just as it was the goodness of the prodigal son's father that led him to change his mind when he found himself involved in sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and spending all of the inheritance, and he was in a pig pen, he was in a far country, and he was just in the darkest hour of his life, he had a light bulb moment, bink, but my dad's good. I could return. Now, he didn't doubt the goodness of his father, but he did doubt his relationship with the father in that he said, well, if I could just be one of the servants, you know, one of the employees, their, their life is better as an employee than my life as a son living outside of the house and outside of the family and doing my own thing with wine, women, and song, and partying, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we've all done it, probably, or maybe not, Um <laughs> Speak for yourself, I was born in church and I've never sinned in my life. But what I'm getting at is, it was the goodness of God. Because the prodigal son, the Luke 15 uh, account, the story, is not about necessarily the younger brother that lived riotously, uh, not righteously, riotously, And the older brother, who lived rightly, so he thought, one thought I was going to be rejected based on the bad things that I've done, and the other thought he was going to be accepted based on the good things that he did. And the good father, the good, good father, had to say, I accept you both, not by your good behavior, and I don't reject you based on your bad behavior. It's your birth. I love you because you're my kids, and I'm your father. But it was the goodness of the father that led the guy back uh, into relationship with father. Now, it's also the goodness and love of God that will lead others to turn from something and to turn towards someone. Now, it's not always sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Have you ever thought about repenting of doing good? Wow. That's something. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, repenting of dead works, there's a lot of people that think, do things in the name of God and do things religiously. Like the older brother, he did everything right, but he was so wrong because he was doing what he was—he was doing the good and right things based on a wrong motive. Whatever it is, whether you're repenting of of good works or you're repenting of bad works, all that is is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's still the wrong tree. It's the tree of death. The tree of life is what I'm talking about, right? There's a, it's a totally different relationship. It's an abiding relationship. It's not a striving relationship, as you'd find the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, it'll be on the screen, oh, or do you despise thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, you know, if I were to say, hey, quit doing that and start doing this, and if I were to impose a bunch of religious rules and, uh, and, you know, and then, uh, then come to an angry God because he's so disappointed and ticked off at you, do you think that's how Jesus attracted people? He didn't attract, he didn't attract people that way. He attracted them by his goodness, by his representation of who love looks like and who love is like. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. If I thought if I thought coming back to God or coming home meant you know restriction and punishment and all the kind of stuff that that would associate with I've, I've disappointed God and He just has His arms crossed, shaking His head no, wagging His finger, tapping His foot. I'm not returning to a God like that. I don't. Do you warm up to people that are just critically? They're critical towards you, judgmental towards you, and disappointed in you continuously. Are those people you want to hang out with and build relationship with? Be honest. No. Those are the relationships that if you have to maintain them, you will. You'll do the bare minimum. But you don't want to get close to someone like that. And when you understand the goodness of God, this is a relationship that you want to uh, not just survive in, you know, like to do, do the bare minimum and dodge the bullets. You want to thrive in this relationship. So God wants us to know his goodness so that when we go off the reservation, so to speak, or we find ourselves in a far, far country, that he doesn't have his arms crossed. He's not wagging his head no. He's not disappointed. He's like the father with arms wide open. Don't get me to sing the Creed song. I almost did. He's arms wide open. <laughs> Some of you won't even know what I'm talking about. Christian, by the way. Not very good ones, but that's not for me to say. Arms wide open. He ran. He tied up his, the, the clothes that they wore during that day. And he ran to his son. You notice he didn't go to the pig pen in the far country. He was waiting. And when he saw him return, because the son had a... He's like, my father's so good, my father is so loving, he's so kind, he's, he's gracious to people that aren't even his kids, he's just a good dude, I'm going back there, I hope he'll take me back, and that was his incorrect thinking, because the father was always waiting for him to come back, he was waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and when he returned, he had a speech all prepared about how pathetic he was, and how lame he was, and what a loser he was, and the father's like, nope, nope, nope get the ring, get the band, get the fatted calf, and then the older brother was all ticked off and jealous. Right? Because grace will either make you mad or grace will make you glad. So let me look at it. Let's look at it this way. Go to the next slide. We're not sinners in the hands of an angry God. And I think God used that sermon from Jonathan Edwards back in the day. But in reality, we are saints in the hands of a loving embrace of an eternally good Father and good God. We aren't sinners in the hands of an angry God. It was said that when he gave that sermon, you know, people were white knuckling the, the wooden pews in front of them and they felt as though they were dangling over the pits of hell by a spider web, ready to just melt and burn and to fall into the chasms of hell forever. You, Christian, are in the hands and the eternal grip of a loving God who said, I'll never leave you, I will never forsake you, neither shall anyone pluck you out of my hand. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. If any man or woman comes unto me, I will no wise cast them out. You are in the grip of God. You aren't hanging on to him He's hanging on to you, so it's not like you are being dangled and hanging on for dear life as a sinner in the hands of an angry God. You are in the loving embrace of uh, of a loving eternal God who wants you and does not want to reject you. Look at some verses, Ezra. It'll be on the screen, three eleven, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, and his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Psalm 25, verse 8. These are just a few. Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust him. And Psalm 31, verse 19. Oh, how great is that goodness! And we sang about it earlier. And thank you for that wonderful song. So, the gospel is about good news, and the good news is it's not the plan of salvation; it's the purse of salvation because He's good. We're not sinners in the hands of an angry God. We're saints in the loving embrace, the eternal grip of God because He's good, and He's not willing that any should perish. And if anyone comes, he's not going to cast them out. It takes the faith of the size of a mustard seed, and he'll give you the free gift of eternal life, something that he, he bought and purchased for you because he wants to express his love towards you. But now we're at this point where, where you know, that, that's good to know that, but we need to experience this kind of goodness in order to then express this goodness. So if we are to love People the way that God loves them, perhaps we can start by knowing the goodness of God for ourselves. And I want to ask this question because I ask it of myself. Do we really believe that God is good? Really? Do you really believe that God is good? Tap the brakes a little bit. Do you really believe it? This is going to be tested. This is going to be tested it, it it's, it's been it's been the number one temptation it's probably you know the fiery darts of the devil even even in, in psychology or as i do therapy and i'm a, i'm a growing clinician and therapist but i'm already starting to pick up trends there's the rain that falls on the just and the unjust there's cancer that happens to good people and bad people Um, There's accidents and trials and tribulations that happens to the saved and the lost, the sheeps and the goats, the Christians and the non-Christians. But Christian, when it happens to you, because we're not in the Garden of Eden and we're not in the millennial reign of Christ, we're somewhere in between, you go through these with God, just like Daniel went into the lion's den with God and the others that went into the lion's den without God I talked about that a couple weeks ago. Bones were crunching like Pringles. (laughs) Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fiery furnace. The others that were going to throw them in there, they got burned up, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. So God sometimes will allow the fiery furnace, and he'll allow the lion's den, but for the Christian, he goes in it and through it with you. So there's a big difference. You're either going through it with God or you're going through it without God. But if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, all the trials and all the tribulations, you will go, with, go through it with God. Now, the takeaway is the devil will come along. Well, if God is good, if God is good, you call God good, you sing about the goodness of God. What do you think now? Hey, Job, Job. You really think God is good? Interesting. You could almost mark down when you, when you do like, when you're trying to assess someone and you're going through their family of origin and you investigate past traumas and stuff like that, if they're a little squirrely with their idea with God, you could go back and something has happened. And then immediately the response was, well, yeah, if God was good, why did this bad thing happen to me or someone else? I'm not so sure about God anymore. You could usually trace someone departing from God to an event in the past and the question being posed about the character and the nature and the goodness of God, and they chose to believe that God isn't good, and then their be- beliefs affect their behavior, and off they go. All I'm trying to do is to do some preventative, um, front-loaded work or Post-work, if you've already maybe experienced this before. But what I want to do is to kind of help us think about in terms of experiencing God's goodness in order so that we could not only know it for ourselves, but then turn around and express it. Satan tried to convince Adam and Eve, and he was somewhat successful, that God was not good, and it's still the number one lie and temptation today, as I was already saying. And it goes something like this to Adam and Eve. If God is so good, why does he not want you to know about evil, Adam? A good God would not want to withhold anything from you, including evil. If God is so good, why does he prevent you from this tree? You surely shall not die. Would a good God prevent or restrict you from something, even if it appeals to you? Why would a good God limit you and your potential? Sure, you have everything and lack nothing in this awesome garden, but is it really everything? Kind of interesting to think about how the devil would appeal to Adam and Eve. And this kind of leads me to to this thought, the ultimate Gnostic lie that will face people today and in in the coming age in which we're entering into and the ultimate Gnostic lie, and they dealt with Gnosticism back in the first century and we're dealing with it today, God is evil and evil is good. It's this, it's this inverse paradoxical way of thinking about things. And we're just talking about that at the end of Sunday school today. You know, that, that you know light is dark and dark is light and you know God's so restrictive and God's an ogre and God's a dictator and oh, God is boring and God is lame and... Really, Satan is for your liberty and your freedom. And, you know, the Satan is actually, if you think about why Satan rebelled, it's for good reasons. Because God's just a jerk, you know? He's just this angry, angry God, disappointed all the time. You really want to hang out with a guy that's disappointed all the time? And so the Gnostic lie continues to this day. So much so that if you're in the occult and you're in an esoteric sort of construct, you find out the light you're seeking is Lucifer. And when you go down that, whatever the degrees they are, you think of the Illuminati or Freemasonry or whatever, uh, but a lot of esoteric cults are built on this premise that as you advance with your age of enlightenment, the light you're seeking is Lucifer, and you find out that he's the good guy and God is the bad guy. So that's why these people, when you think, like, how could you be a worshiper of the devil? Because they bought the lie that, that he's good and God is bad. Look at this verse in um, Isaiah chapter 5 on the screen. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And God's not the author of confusion. So if people are confused, it's not coming from God. This is the lie that people will believe in the last days at the end of the age before Jesus comes back. It's the rallying point uh, that the devil and the Antichrist uh, will will pitch to people, so much so that they will mount up and rally an army to fight against God, called Armageddon. Could you imagine the lunacy? They might have like photon, or they might have um, plasma weapons. They might have weapons of mass destruction with with advanced technology. Uh, You know, they might be pitching it. you, You know, like the the good ones the the aliens are, are going to come in somehow and the story and the narrative is going to get all all distorted and people are going to end up believing on a mass formation psychosis level, a collective hive mind approach, God is, God is evil and, and the devil is good. But the devil, he deceives people because he comes as an angel of light, as a minister of righteousness. So it's so... It's so upside down. But I want to ask this question Are we agnostic when it comes to the goodness of God? If we are to be ambassadors of the goodness of God, let us first be the Christians who experience the goodness of God for ourselves and then turn around and express this goodness. Psalm 34, verse 8, on the screen. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who trusts in him. Oh, taste and see. This is experiential. This isn't just theoretic or academic or just theological. This is experiential. Taste and see. Look, if I I were to say, have you ever tasted um, a double-double? Oh, taste and see. I say In-N-Out fries are getting better, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed. It was the kind of their criticism, but I've always liked them, but they're only better. You don't believe me? Go taste and see. Go taste and see. I could talk about it. Right? Yeah, I could talk about it. I could show you pictures on the slide. But you're going to have to go taste and see. How do you know God's good? Because you read about it? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who trusts in him. You know when you were born again, you were born again, you were given senses in your new birth, spiritual senses, spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear, spiritual nose to smell, spiritual mouth to taste, spiritual feet to walk in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. How dull are those senses? Or how acute do you want to develop those senses? That's what growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus is all about. Growing in your new identity. Growing in your new you. Your new born again you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So we are encouraged to grow and experience God's grace, and goodness. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. As a newborn babe in Christ, desire the sincere milk of the word so that you may grow thereby. If so, be that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? If so, desire the sincere milk of the word. Move from milk to meat. Keep growing. Keep tasting. Keep seeing that the Lord is good. All the Bible's milk and all the Bible's meat. It just depends where your senses are. John 3.16 might seem like it's milk to you. Genesis 1.1 1, 1 might seem like it's milk to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That might seem very like kid Sunday school to you. When your senses grow and when we grow, it could also be meat. You could feed off that. You could grow. You could taste and see how good that is. So if we've tasted that the Lord is good, let us keep tasting and experiencing his goodness, but let us also be the people that are expressing his goodness by being good to others. It's a catch and release. So God's doing is based on God's being. Next slide. He will do good because God himself is goodness. Like the song, The Good, Good Father, and the other song that we sang about um, he's just so, so good, We could know that God will always do good because God is always good all the time, right? We were just riffing off that thing a little bit ago. God will be loving because God is love. God is kindness and will always be kind because that's who he is. His doing is based on his being. God will comfort because he is the God of all comfort. God will be patient because he is the God of patience. God will always work all things together for the good because that is who he is and that is what he will do because he's good. Psalm 119 on the screen, verse 68. You are good and do good. You are good and do good. Look at at his being is based on his doing. Do you catch that? You are good and do good. You are love, you will love. You are patient, so you will be patient. Because of who God is, that's how he will act. His identity reflects his activity. His character will uh, reflect on his actions. So he will do good because that's who he is. He can't He can't be anything other than who he is. That's how he is. And this shows up in the life of Jesus. Look at the next one. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Why did Jesus only do good? Because that's who he is. He's God. He's God. And that's what God does. He does good things. Do you believe it? You're, it, it? this will be tested. This will be I'm not trying to scare anyone but it's just it's just a common test. It's it's like where the Bible says we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. We're not ignorant. Don't be ignorant of this. He will come along and test you and whether you really believe that God's good or not. I don't think it'll be as drastic as Job, but we might get a micro Job version rather than a big one. So we might think even that we're pretty good parents, for those of you that um, are parents, and would do anything for our kids and our children, and most of us would, no doubt about that, but how much more would our good father. Look at the screen, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11. Still continuing on this idea of God. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more your father who is in heaven give what is good to those that ask him? You know, we're we're pretty limited but our intentions are eternal. If I could give the world to my kids, I would. But I'm pretty limited financially, resource-wise. But God, he's giving... You could give your kids the gift of an example of what what God looks like in a correct way. And if they accept God, God could give them the greater gift of the kingdom of God and eternal life and eternal riches that won't fade. How much more your father? Sometimes gifts though come in strange packages. Have you ever thought about the gift, the short-term gift of loneliness as a good thing? Interesting. Because it's from that place that leads us to wanting relationship, connection, and community, the very thing that we're designed for and the very thing that we really desire at our core. So sometimes gifts come in small packages and kind of not on our radar. Have you ever thought about the strange and awkward gift of being offended? If we never have been offended, how would we know to err as human and to forgive as divine? (laughs) Was that Shakespeare? I don't know who that was. But how would we know what, what forgiveness and reconciliation, how would we know what repair looks like without a rupture? How would we know what redemption is? And I think people are so afraid of these things happening to them in life that they sequester themselves, they hide themselves, and as a coping mechanism, they protect themselves from all contact, you know, because they, they, at the core of them, they don't, they're afraid of being rejected. They're afraid of being uh, not accepted and validated and, and have worth and connection. And so for, for multiple reasons, people don't engage for what the very thing they were created for. Community, relationship, um, doing life together. Uh, so, that, so those things, it comes in a small package and an, and an obscure, unexpected package but you learn these things from these things. James chapter 1, and verse 17, puts it this way. Every good gift, every good and perfect gift, comes down from the Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He is always the same and never makes dark shadows by changing. He doesn't change. Every good gift comes from God. Philippians 2.13, also on the screen. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So all of these things, God is, he's the author and he's the finisher, right? We think we have editing rights in this whole thing, but he's the author and the finisher and everything he gives is good, even though it comes in strange packages sometimes. But when God created everything, let's just kind of go back to the beginning. He said everything was good. So even even as we live in this created realm that wasn't in existence, that came to, the something came from, the, the nothing that was came from someone, and it was God, and he spoke everything into existence that wasn't here previously, and now it is here. And in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, the Bible says, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. Because even in creation reflects the goodness of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4, for every creation of God is good. Though sin and evil have entered into the world and corrupted that which was intended for good, God will one day restore everything and turn our dystopia into his good utopia, which is also more good news. It's more, you could include that in the good news. This isn't as God intended. We're not in the garden and we're not in the millennial reign of Christ and we're not in the new heavens and the, in the new earth. People do get sick. People do die. There are accidents. There is evil. It's not as God intended. God is good and he will make the wrong things right. He is also just. Um, so what the devil, the fallen angels, and evil in the unseen realm have intended for evil God will flip it and he will intend it and work it out for our good. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 is a classic on this thought. As for you, you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive. So what you meant for evil, God intended for good. And if you look at what, what God is all about, he's about life and evil is about death. Remember Jesus said in John 10:10. He said, I have come that they might have life and life more abundantly. The devil's come, right? Because he's a, what is it? The thief, a liar, and a destroyer. He, he, he came to destroy and to kill, but I am come that they might have life. So on the one side, you have death, and the other side, you have life. And God is good. Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose and God is working even the evil things, and he's waiting for the the fullness of the Gentiles and the times of the Gentiles to be done. He's going to come back, and then he's going to rule for a 1,000 years, and then we rule with him, and then at the end of that, new heavens and a new earth. After the 1,000 years, there's a new heaven and a new earth, and then we get to enjoy God's goodness without sin, without evil, as he intended. So only God is good and he will never stop never stopping being good. (laughs) I don't know if anyone's going to get this at all. (laughs) I ripped this off from a a title of a movie. But it it, it applies. He'll never stop never stopping (laughs) being good. (laughs) Thank you for those two cackles or 1.5 cackles. So, in other words, God, because, because God can't change, He'll never stop being good. And you need to we need to believe this. Let's not be agnostics when it comes to the character, the immutability, the infinitude of God. Whatever God is, it's in infinite, unmeasurable characters or characteristics. So when we say God is good, we're not saying he's 99.9% good. We're not even saying he's 100% good. We're saying when God is good, he's infinitely good. And his infinitude has no beginning and has no end. And because of what he has revealed to us about who he is, he'll never stop, never stopping being good. He's always, always Always going to be good. He's not going to get any. He's not going to get any gooder, and he's not going to get less gooder. He will always be good, and you can count on that. You can't even count on the sun to keep burning, even though our life depends on the sun. If it wasn't burning, we die. But God, you could count on Him to bypass the things that we think are eternal, and they're only temporal, and his goodness will burn forever and ever and ever, and he will never cease from being good. Our measurement of what is even good is based off of God, and we have a very low and limited view oftentimes of God because we're agnostic when it comes to God's goodness. We think it's too good to be true. Well, I'm going to illustrate it in this. Did you know I mentioned this probably a year ago, but they have what this thing that they're and, and Daniel mentions this too in Daniel chapter twelve. It says in the last days that knowledge will increase and people go to and fro, uh, and God says, "Okay, keep this sealed, and then in the last days, open it." Um, but it's very interesting because uh, we are able, able to measure this as of lately. So. Since the intelligence test was invented more than 100 years ago, the IQ thing, our IQ scores have been steadily increasing. Even the average person today would have been considered a genius compared to someone in, say, 1923, a phenomenon known as the Flynn effect. The knowledge doubling curve, as it's commonly known, was created by Buckminster Fuller. What a name. Fuller points out that in, the, that in the year 1900, so 123 years ago, human knowledge doubled approximately every century or every 100 years. By the end of 1945, this is also on that graph right there, by the end of the, of the year 1945, that rate was every 25 years. Today, human knowledge on average is doubling every 13 months IBM and others, Ray Kurzweil and others, um, are saying that we are quickly on our way with the help and the advent of the internet and other technologies to the doubling of knowledge every 12 hours. That's interesting, right? Though this may be true and measurable today, we still cannot fathom the antediluvian civilizations and their megalithic structures of the times, that like, you know, pre flood era, uh, pre Noah time, not what God said about uh, the architects of the Tower of Babel, in which, if the project were not ceased, God said this. I don't know if it's on the screen. But what I'm saying is, okay, so even though our knowledge is increasing, it seems to double, we kind of have this idea that people in the past were ignorant and were intelligent. Hang on. Maybe we're now just catching up to where they were. Here's what I mean. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 6. And the Lord said, behold, they are become one people. They're erecting this tower. And it wasn't a tower architecturally that they thought would actually reach into heaven. I believe it was a ziggurat or some sort of temple to where they were communicating with spirits. Fallen angels that were rebellious enough to give them angelic information. Think about quantum physics and things that we, we know very little about, about how the universe actually works. And I think this, is, this was their intellectual advancement during the time. And here's what, here's what I mean by that, look at what, what was said. Uh, and they have all one language, and this is only a beginning of what they will do. And nothing they purpose, imagine, think, or purpose, or propose to do will be impossible for them. Time travel, teleportation, quantum leaps. I don't know, I don't know. You just think about the craziest sci-fi thing that, you think I'm crazy, but yeah, you'll go watch Marvel stuff, right, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is knowledge is increasing and people are changing, but people back in those days were very intellectually advanced also. It's, it's like maybe they were up here and then there was a dramatic drop-off with the flood and, and the dispersion of uh, Babel, but maybe, we're, maybe they were here and maybe because we're... And that's when God pulls the plug. Why do you think God says it'll be like the days of Noah when I come back? There's a lot of genetic manipulation going on during the days of Noah. It was so corrupt the plants, the animals, the people. He came down and got rid of it. Maybe they are up there, and maybe we're on our way. I don't know. I'm just saying. But the point that I'm making is people often say, well, the times are changing, man. The times are changing. This is actually not accurate. Time stays the same, it's the people who change. Time's linear, it's predictive, it's measurable, it stays the same. Even though you know, it constantly rotates, it's really, it stays the same. It doesn't change. You don't go to 25 hours and then 13 hour days and then we don't, it doesn't happen that way. However, time will change from being a measurable constant to a non-existent when the alpha and the omega turns off the clock, not hit the snooze button, actually turns it off and enters us all, the believers, into a timeless eternity. Now, I'm only saying all this to make the point that as though things in the material scene world change, the one thing that doesn't change is God. And the one thing that doesn't change is God's goodness and you need to believe that. You need to believe that. Hebrews 13:8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So, if he was good 2000 years ago, is he going to be good 2000 years from now? Well, look at the verse. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. God went on record and he wanted everyone to know, I am the Lord, I change not. I am the Lord, I change not. Meaning he's not gonna he's not gonna pull a fast one on you like, well, I'm good only when you do these certain things and psych, now I'm bad and I'm ticked off at you. And he's not like God's not setting you up. He's not sadistic, he's not pulling a long con. He's not trying to fake you out, he's not saying, Oh, did you read the fine print? You idiot. Don't project onto God what evil people with maybe like semi-good intentions did. Let's not get these things confused. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he says he's good, it means he'll always be good. He's not trying to trick you. You could put all your eggs in his basket and it'll be safe. Why does this matter? Because we can trust and what God has shared with us about Himself. And He wants us to know that He is really good and loving by all eternal measurements and standards. So, as we wind this down, He wants us to be able to have faith in the midst of bad times in His unchanging character, who will always be working towards our good. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 32. Do not fear, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do not fear, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We just don't believe that that there's anything pleasurable about God, so we seek our own pleasures outside of God, which is the flesh, which is getting legitimate needs met in an illegitimate way. Have you ever tried trusting in God? and said, okay, if you have the pleasures, if you have the joy, if you are good, and you know my best interest, and you know me better than I know myself, you know my dopamine, you know my serotonin, you know my hormones, you know my, all my thinking, you know how I'm made, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, can I trust you? Are you good? Are you good? Can I trust you? And he said, don't fear, little flock. Look, everyone's afraid to die, everyone's afraid of, you know, illness and financial struggles and the uncertainty of the future. And he says, I don't, Jesus, before he went to heaven, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe it also in me. And my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's good intention. It's his good pleasure. He, you know where it says it's more blessed to give than to receive? You know where that idea came from? God. He delights to give. He has everything and lacks nothing. It, so don't get this idea like you need to do something in order to give something to God. He doesn't need you to do something. He has everything. He wants to give to you. It's his good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. You just need to believe it. And you need to know that he's good and he's good for his word. He's good for it. Psalm 84 verse 12. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good. Psalm 145.9. The Lord is good to all and his compassions are on all that he has made. He's good to all the creation. Psalm 103 verse 17. Uh, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And the second to last verse I want to share is from 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his loving kindness endures forever, and he changes not. So... His goodness endures forever. His patience endures forever. His loving kindness endures forever. So God is good. So to wrap this whole thing up in conclusion, in the midst of all that is bad, in other words, the wars, the rumors of wars, even threat of nuclear war, the poor economy, the death of the dollar, divisive politics, election, election fraud, pandemics, anti-Semitism, racism, poverty, etc., in the midst of all that, God is still good. God is good. We can rise above the negative uh, when we set our affection on the things that are above and not on the things that are below. Uh, we can live above our circumstances. We don't have to live under them. You know, Well, under the circumstances, yeah, but you're seated at the right hand of the Father right now, the Bible says. So you could live above the line and look down at your circumstances from a perspective of faith. Do you know that according to psychology and even quantum science, that they're finding out that what people think about and what they set their minds on has a profound impact on their future as well as their mental health and well-being? Did you know that? Here's what I mean. It's all true. What gets our attention gets us, and we become what we behold, just as science and the Bible have been saying all along. Look, you may call it, and you could Google this, by the way, set intentions, focused outcome, mindfulness, meditation, positive thinking, attunement, quantum consciousness, or what the Bible calls faith and belief. The results are in, though. What we focus our thoughts and attentions on do determine our outcome and our well-being. Our beliefs impact our behavior and our health. That's why cognitive behavioral, I do, the, I do all this stuff. But the Bible has been doing it way before Freud started modern day psychology. Way before. So this coming year, I am simply encouraging people uh, when the deep dark night of the soul may come or may not and it feels overwhelming, remember that God is good. Think on it and believe on it because it will change your life. I'm going to close with this passage. I'm going to give you, if I were a doctor writing a script, it's not your zanny, it's not your prosies.? Right? It's not your antidepressants, and if you take those, that's fine. I'm not against that. I'm just saying I'm going to give you something for your soul. Here, here it is. Philippians. Chapter four, verse six. Look at this verse, and then we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Don't worry, don't be anxious about anything. But by prayer, ask God for everything you need. Always give thanks for what you have. Because you belong to Christ Jesus, God's peace will stand guard over all your thoughts and feelings, this is all in your soul. This isn't your spirit, this isn't your heart, this is your head, okay? Your spirit is where God is, you're good in your spirit. It's your mind that's all whack-a-doodle. That's why we, re- we come to church to renew our mind. You don't come to church to renew your heart. Your heart's good if you're born again. Your heart's not good if you haven't been saved. You've got a corrupt heart, and it separates you from God. That's, your only, that's the only problem. He just wants to take that away and give you a new heart. It's a heart transplant. Talk about your niece's lung transplant. She needs that to live. We needed a heart transplant to live eternally with God. So he gave that to us, but where the battle for the Christian is in the mind. What are we thinking about? What do we set our affection on? What gets our attention? What do we believe? Because it'll, it'll change our trajectory. So he says this. And because you belong to Jesus, God's peace will stand and guard over your thoughts and your feelings. His peace can do this far better than our human minds. Brothers and sisters, continue to think about what is good. Continue to think about who is good and worthy of praise. Think about what is true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. Think on these things. You know what the devil wants you to do? Get you afraid, build a story, believe a lie, and then to always talk about things that are negative. It's a trap, my friend. This isn't just think positive and everything's gonna be all right. This is, okay, Can, is there anything you could still think about that's good? Set your affection that way. What is good? Think on that, think on that, think. It's the classic half empty or half full, right? I know it's, it's, you're going to have to retrain some, some cognitive pathways, some neuropathways, you know, if you're always bent towards the negative. But your, your outlook will affect your outcome. If you're always negative, 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 you will become like what you behold, and it will affect not only you, but those around you. God is good, and he says, you wanna, you wanna help anxiety? You wanna help fear? You wanna help negativity? Think about who is good. Think about who's worthy of praise. Set your affection on the things above, not on the things of earth. So this coming, this coming year, I'm just encouraging you. You could say challenge, I'm challenging myself. When bad things happen this year, and they will, don't doubt the goodness of God. He's always good. And he's got your good and best interest in mind even in the midst of bad situations. Amen? Amen? Let's stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. And I would like to praise the Lord for all of you. Oh, thank you for the gifts too, by the way, for, towards me and Victoria, those the Christmas gifts. And oh, it's such a blessing. This church is so awesome. I think we're little but mighty. And I think God has great plans for this group of people moving forward. Uh, and I'm just I'm excited to be a part of it with you, and, and I'm I'm looking forward to the goodness of God and how He'll He'll bestow His goodness, and we'll be able to experience it and then to express it to the community. I think this is the right message. I really do. I hope you do too. Jesus, thank you for being the Good Shepherd. Thank you for being the one and true God who is only good. Thank you that we could not only experience Your goodness, but express it. We could be doing good towards people. Thank you that you even help us with our anxiety and our depression. As bad things happen, we could choose to think on who is good and what is good, and it will impact our life. Thank you that science backs this up as well, but thank you that you've been saying that all along. I just pray for this church, Lord, as we move into the 2024, that we will be a church that truly believes that you're good And we will reflect your goodness to those around us. And I thank you in Jesus' name, amen.